Hi, I'm Karen Osborne, and this is Living in the Sandwich Zone, a place where each week we talk all things parenting, caregiving, juggling life, and reclaiming joy. Welcome back to Living in the Sandwich Zone. This is part two of my episode talking about navigating the mental health system and talking about the things I wish I had known when I had to embark on the journey of trying to find mental health support for our child. So I tell you what, it right now is 11.05 p.m. on Tuesday. My episodes generally load at 2 a.m. on Wednesday mornings. So I generally upload an episode and have it scheduled to be released at 2 a.m. on Wednesday morning. And apparently Wednesday is supposed to be a good day for releasing podcast episodes. And I read that if you release it at 2 a.m., then the East Coast people can have it as they drive to work. And then the West Coast people can get it when they're driving to work. So that's the thought behind that. Today, when I was, you know, I'm trying to up my PR game and uh, put out at least an announcement as to what the the week's episode is going to be talking about. So I did that this afternoon. And in the hours from then till now, I have received so many messages, so many texts, so many outreaches from people that are going through this right now. So originally, I planned to do a subsequent episode talking more in detail about the hierarchy of care and how we as a family decided to pursue residential care initially as opposed to kind of climbing the ladder from the bottom up. But after receiving so many messages today, I really felt called to do that episode now so that people who need this information can at least have something to refer to, to give some idea of what this whole journey entails or could entail. I decided that this is something that just needs to be addressed. I can't let people flail and dangle another week if this information might be helpful to someone. Let me just say this. This journey as a parent, has been absolutely the hardest journey. I never expected this when I became a mom. I wasn't prepared for it emotionally, psychologically. um, It's been really, really hard. And I can tell you from the number of messages that I have received in the whatever eight hours, if that, since I posted the episode info, This is something we just need to keep talking about and have an open conversation about because I know this, when my child was expressing suicidal ideations and I went online to look for resources to help me, knowing that Linny was thinking about ending her life, I wanted to find resources that could help me prevent that from happening. And what I found mostly were resources for parents who had lost their kids to suicide. 
And that was so, that was so heartbreaking for me because I was trying not to get to that point. I was in the situation where I knew and was aware that my kid was suffering and I wanted to take every possible course of action to help prevent that devastating outcome. This is just an aside, but I think that it's important to note. Languaging is really important, and I do believe in the power of words. Many people talk about suicide and talk about people who have ended their lives by suicide, saying that they committed suicide. And I want to encourage a change in that language because, first of all, know that I am a lawyer and I work in the criminal sphere. So that word committed is linked to a crime. And I understand that there are a lot of things and judgments and perceptions around suicide. But the one thing that I know, the one thing that I know is that seeing my kid suffer so, so extensively that that was an option, it's because the pain is so immense that what they're going through is so hard and seems so insurmountable that ending their life seems like the only way out. It is the unbearable weight of that agony that leads a person to contemplate suicide. So please, please, out of compassion, out of trying to gain a deeper understanding, and out of just pure empathy, please do not add further weight and agony to a situation by saying a person committed suicide. It's really a hard thing. No one needs to be further stigmatized or made to feel like they have committed a crime because the world was so unbearably hard. I want to share with you kind of what we went through when we ended up having to look at higher levels of care for our child. So how it first came to pass was that Linny was using her fingernails to, you know, um, to scratch herself and scratched herself to the point of having wounds all over her arms and her legs. And that was a real serious indication of how deeply she was suffering. And I've talked about it in a prior episode. The act of cutting or inflicting a wound on oneself, it really is a situation where the person is in excruciating pain and is the, the act of cutting or scratching a wound, as we, as we learned more about it, our therapist educated us that that really is an effort to localize the pain so that it's, you know, more so that you can deal with it more readily, so that it's not as all-encompassing and pervasive and just overwhelming. When our therapist told us that that act of scratching was actually a good sign, 
I was blown. I, I was beside myself because I was really, really suffering. I was having a hard time seeing those wounds and then trying to contain my own reaction, which was just, I, I have not ever felt such pain and helplessness and powerlessness when I see my child you know, hurting and these visible, tangible markers, wounds that were emblematic of the suffering. It was, it was really hard to bear. And what they meant by saying it was a good sign is that compared to having suicidal ideations and expressing a desire to kill oneself, cutting or scratching shows that you're trying to feel something, that there is an effort to feel. And that effort to feel is an expression of a desire to live, to actually feel something and to live. That was a good sign as opposed to being so devastatingly hopeless that suicide was the primary thought. At one point, I recall, you know, it was during the pandemic and everything was virtual. So Lenny's therapists were meeting with her through Zoom or the computer or Doxy or whatever. And there are a lot of different virtual platforms through which therapists can interact with patients that is HIPAA compliant, meaning that they can maintain their privacy protections. And Doxy, D-O-X-Y, is one of those platforms. So when they would meet with Lenny, they wouldn't necessarily see all of these injuries because they're just looking at the screen and seeing you know, Lenny's face. At one point, though, I remember communicating with them and sending a picture. And it was a picture where Lynn's and I had gone to Bed Bath & Beyond and we were um, shopping around. I can't even remember what we were shopping for. But at one point, we went into the candle section. And Lenny and I both love candles. Um, and at one point, I took a picture of Linny holding some candles. And in the picture, you could see the wounds on her forearms. And when I sent that picture to her therapists, it was at that point that they, I think, realized that things were much, much worse than they had understood, that they had known. So... After seeing those pictures was when they communicated with us that they believed Lenny needed a higher level of care, that they were very concerned about the extent of the self-harm that was happening and felt that we needed some higher level of intervention. So in part one of this episode, I had mentioned talking to an adolescent psychologist that I'd been referred to and being given this, what felt like a laundry list of acronyms, IOP, PHP, and RTC. And what those stand for are IOP, 
is an intensive outpatient program. And basically, an intensive outpatient program usually meets multiple days during the week, usually three to five days a week, for about three hours each day. So in in the case of IOP, usually kids can go to school during the first portion of the day and go in the late afternoon to do their IOP, intensive outpatient programming. So IOP is really an intensive program that is designed for someone who needs more than just weekly therapy visits, like the once a week, 50 minute visits to an individual outpatient therapist. Then there's PHP, and that stands for Partial Hospitalization Program. PHP is a step up the ladder from IOP, and PHP usually meets Monday through Friday for about six hours a day. And so generally, kids are immersed in in partial hospitalization therapy. With PHP, usually kids are not going to school. They are doing intensive full-day therapy in place of school to stabilize their mental health. In a PHP program, teens will receive a full day of treatment, usually consisting of five to six hours of therapy. And it basically is in a, it's an alternative to residential or inpatient treatment and may be appropriate for kids who are you know, coming out of residential treatment. But it offers more than an IOP program. PHP programs can be for kids who are struggling with suicidal ideation. It could be for um, issues involving addiction or behavioral issues, but basically where the circumstances are such that a full day of therapeutic programming is necessary to keep the child safe and well. The top rung of the ladder is residential treatment centers, RTC. And a residential treatment center is appropriate in situations where living at home does not provide sufficient support to keep the child safe from harm. Everybody's situation is going to be different. In our situation, we didn't have um, a an issue with defiance or running away or drugs or alcohol. We had a situation where our child was really so, so depressed um, that all that depression and hopelessness was directed inward. It was causing so much grief and pain that suicide was becoming more and more of a contemplated solution um, as a means of ending that pain. When the therapist we'd been working with said that we needed to look into higher levels of care, one of the things that I really grappled with was, where do we start? Part of me said, well, I want to just go gradually and see, you know, we've been doing this sort of unofficial IOP program, and we were doing a lot of things. We were doing the talk therapy twice a week, and um, art therapy twice a week, and yoga twice a week, and all of this stuff. And that wasn't enough. Um, So I really was thinking, 
do we go into an official intensive outpatient program or perhaps even a PHP program? And what really ultimately led us to pursue residential treatment initially was that Lenny's anxiety and depression and self-harm was occurring mostly at night. It would the onset of it would really, really flare up before bedtime. Lenny wasn't sleeping. As a result, I wasn't sleeping. I would spend nights awake in her room monitoring and making sure that, you know, nothing horrible was going to happen. And so ultimately, we contacted our insurance company to see what was covered Um, in terms of higher levels of care. We did, you know, I did outreach to several programs and we had virtual assessments, got on a bunch of waiting lists. Ultimately, our insurance company approved a PHP program. However, my fear was that I had a child whose anxiety and depression and self-harm was exacerbated at nighttime. And I couldn't imagine sending Lenny to a full day program and then coming home after a full day of therapy, exhausted, not wanting to go back the next day, I'm sure. And then the flare up of anxiety at night. And I was already maxed out. I was not sleeping. I was already having mental health issues of my own in terms of the stress from the situation. And I ended up calling and talking to the insurance and explaining this, explaining that my fear was that Lenny would be in treatment all day. But when she really, really needed the support, really needed help, we would be stranded alone at home And I was already so depleted and we had tried absolutely everything and every possible support system and therapeutic intervention that we could, and it still wasn't enough. So I asked our insurance company to authorize us to be eligible for coverage for residential treatment. And that is how we ended up selecting to start there. A huge part of me was just racked with guilt. I was devastated to think that in the middle of a pandemic, I was going to be handing my child over to complete strangers. But at the time, I saw how badly we needed more help because we were not able to support Lenny, we were in a situation where with everything that we were doing, we still could not guarantee Lenny's safety. And we weren't able to reduce the self-harm. We knew we had to look elsewhere for help. So that's a little bit more of our story. And I hope that this information is helpful. Again, I will let you know that I have I created sort of a glossary of terms that you can link to in the show notes and download it for free. So click on that and hopefully that will be helpful. Please feel free to reach out if there's something that you'd like me to talk about. If there's a topic that 
you would like to hear a guest talk about that might help you in your journey, please let me know. One thing that I will say that I think is important is I think we as parents in this situation always have to be thinking like 10 steps ahead. Don't get into a situation where you convince yourself that these outcomes could not possibly happen to you and your child. It is important to be aware and be prepared and look into resources that you may need just in case because you don't want to be caught in a situation where you're in crisis, you're in dire need of support, and you're trying to learn on your way. Um, As much as you can prepare and as much as you can know about what steps there are out there in terms of increased levels of care, it's so important to try to get a grasp on that as early as possible. And for us, when Linny was in residential care, I had already done a ton of research on step-down care, meaning that you don't just go from residential care to going back home. It's a gradual step down of therapy. And so we went from residential treatment to partial hospitalization, PHP, then stepped down to IOP, and then Linny came back to seeing her regular outpatient therapists. So it's not just a one-stop shop. It is something that you have to really look forward and look to the long-term because this kind of care, it's important that it's just not abruptly stopped. There needs to be a continuity of care and a gradual re-entry back into life at home in order for your child to be fully supported and reintegrated back into their regular home life. If you're going through this right now, please know that my heart is with you. If there's anything that I can do to help or support you on your journey, please message me, DM me, let me know, and I will do whatever I can because we're all in this together and the more we support each other, the more we help our kids. I'm Karen Osborne. Thanks for listening to this episode of Living in the Sandwich Zone. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you like this episode, I'd love to hear from you. Like, subscribe, follow the podcast, and share it with a friend. If you're an Apple Podcast listener, one of the best ways you can support me is rating and reviewing the podcast there. You can follow me on Instagram at karen.e.osborne, that's O-S-B-O-R-N-E. Or if you want to become an insider, a club sandwich member, click the link in the show notes and join my private Facebook group. Until next time, remember to add yourself to your caregiving list and take a moment today and do something that brings you joy.